0: Hi, you're listening to the Coffee and Books Podcast. I'm your host, Scott. I hope all of you are having a wonderful day. Uh, You can find us on Patreon. You can find us on any podcast platform. My name is Scott, where we talk, of course, about different coffee and books. Apologies for the stuffy nose there, but uh, we're going to continue going on, and we're going to talk about everything going on in the world. Uh, So today's book is a little bit special and very important to me because it talks about history, which, of course, I love specifically World War II history. Uh, This book is called The Fugu Plan. It is 277 pages long. It came out in, I believe, 1977. Uh, It was written by authors, uh, let's see, by Giffen Publishing House. Um, It is authors Marvin Tokayer and Mary Schwartz. Um, It is the book's history describing uh, Tokyo, or more specifically the Japanese relationship with Jewish people during World War II and how that was sort of interesting, complex, and very good topic to explore. As somebody who studies history, this is something that's a little-known topic. Um, The Fugu Plan, just so we're clear to start off with, was a plan by the Japanese government to relocate Jewish people to a settlement in Manchukuo, which is a part of China. Uh, Basically, a free pass to Jewish people. Uh, And the reason why this was is because the Japanese believed wholeheartedly and the fact that there were stereotypes that were coming to them initially from the West um, and from the East. Uh, More specifically, the contact they had with Russians, the contact they had with the Germans, the contact they had with the United States. Uh, This is only the beginning of forming what Jewish people were to the Japanese. Uh, Japanese people had not met very many Jewish people up until this point in history. And as a result, there was a lot of confusion regarding this. But of course, some of the stereotypes that had informed the Germans and the Russians had been twisted in the Japanese mindset to sort of make some of the stereotypes uh, in order for the Japanese viewpoint to see the world. Uh, an example of this would be the Japanese viewed the Jewish people as all-powerful in controlling of the U.S. government. Which is of course not true but the fact that they believed that jewish people were wealthy had money had connections had power this led to basically the creation of a place uh, called the fugu plan and the idea behind it was that they thought they could dictate policy in the united states based on the fact that if they helped other jewish refugees uh, more specifically those coming from germany uh poland lithuania russia that they could help those uh, Jewish people find a place of safe haven, that they might actually have something to bring to the political table with the Allies. Um, This was, of course, early on in the relationship of the war. And, of course, a side note, this was before the creation of what would be known as the Final Solution, which is, of course, a dark topic in today's episode. Um, We're going to talk a lot about that, so if you have kids with you or you have anyone who's not familiar with this topic, it may be sort of a dark topic to bring up, but we need to talk about it, so it's very important. Um, Okay, so where to begin? Basically, the Japanese war effort after World War I was influenced by uh, Jewish people, mainly because, uh, of course, I didn't know this, but some of the earliest people in Japanese Jewish contact history helped create some of the first newspapers in Japan and helped form the Japanese first constitution of the modern government. Um, As a result of all this, um, there are people who helped invest in the Japanese when they were going to war against Russia in the early 1900s. Again, the contact between Jewish people and Americans was confusing to the Japanese people. They did not understand that people who were patriotic to America may decide to stay with America Uh, People who were Jewish may have a loyalty to other Jews, as in, like, they want to help people who are Jewish, but they did not see it as, like, Jews were their own political power. Um, However, the Japanese did, and this led to eventually, like I said, a formulation of a plan in the 1930s and 40s. But before that history, we're going to get into the fact that Germany exists in 1933, uh, you know, with Hitler coming to power. Basically, Germany is becoming a not-so-safe place for Jewish people. And of course, with uh, communist Russia, that is also not a safe place for Jewish people. And as we know, what happened eventually was the fact that Germans and the Russians formed a sort of semi-alliance while they divided up Poland. And again, Jewish people did not have anywhere to go. As a result of this, many Jewish uh, refugees tried to flee and go to other countries. Anywhere they could get out, that was a safe place. Um, Again, this is before what was understood as as the final solution. So many Jewish people were not necessarily in a hurry in 1933 to leave. They thought maybe the violence would die down, they might go away. Many Jews though, did decide to leave. Some of those Jewish people did head towards Japan. Um, Ironically, Japan is one of the only countries during this time period in history in the 1930s and 40s when Jewish people could get an exit visa from wherever they were living from and sort of had a workaround of going to Japan. The reason why Japan let this happen was because there were some people, of course, who did care about refugees, but there was also those in the government that believed that if Jewish people were let into the country, the stereotypes such as being powerful and rich, they could bring those resources to Japan. As a result, unlike their uh, allies, Italy and Germany, Japan actually formed an interest in gathering Jewish people. Um, However, the Japanese quickly realized that Unfortunately, not all the refugees that they were rescuing were well-connected and rich and powerful. And as a result of this, there kind of became a disillusionment over time. Uh, More specifically, the government believed that they didn't have any influence over the United States, which is true because the refugees did not. Although there were many attempts made by the refugees living in uh, Japan to contact the United States and to seek aid and to seek advice and to see how they can help bring this war to a speedy conclusion uh so where did the jewish people in japan live Um, one of the most popular provinces was kobe or rather a city in japan Uh, but there were jews that were living of course in china and in other parts of the world that were under japanese control the philippines um, hong kong Um, and and specifically we're going to talk about how in russia russia was the closest to japan how many basically fled off in the middle of the Soviet Union, would would basically go as far as they could go to a little town on the edge of Russia and take a boat to Japan. Um, This was allowed, like I said, for a brief time where many refugees did get out. About 17,000, I believe, were able to escape from persecution and enter into Japan. Um, And most of these people were relocated to Shanghai in China. Now, why were they relocated to Shanghai? Shanghai has had a Jewish community for longer um, the people in charge of the Japanese government wanted the Jewish people to go someplace that they considered uh, more appropriate for them. They didn't think that the Jewish people would assimilate into Japanese culture. Um, many times the Japanese government was forced to put pressure on the Jewish people, mainly because they wanted to know, you know where their loyalties were, who they were interested in you know, protecting. Um, many, like I said, Japanese were unfamiliar with the Jewish people, not familiar with their customs. There's many stories in this book of people who, for instance, wear tefillin is a good example, and the Japanese were suspicious and thinking that they were spies or that they had cameras on them. Um, Again, tefillin is like a prayer um, device that is used by Jewish people, specifically Orthodox. Um, And so, again, because all these refugees came across all different cultures, uh, German, Eastern European, Russian, they spoke different languages, um, they didn't all talk the same language, so a lot of them had to communicate in Hebrew or Yiddish. Um, again, Japanese did not know how to communicate very well with this. Um, even translators had a difficult time. But what became interesting is that there were connections that were formed and that there were many Jews that did escape. Some of the Japanese were honored for their part in saving Jewish people during World War II. Um Most famously, there is a gentleman who lived in Lithuania who was the uh, Japanese embassy in Lithuania and wrote as many um, exit visas as possible for those who were trying to flee the country. That is a very famous example. Um, Of course, there are uh, people, like I said, who helped in the refugee camps, who helped set up the schools, helped set it up so that people could live a normal life. Um, And, uh, you know, for the most part, a lot of those people that lived in Japan, Uh, Escaped persecution and hardships that was eventually set upon them during the final solution. Uh, So what is the final solution? Of course, it was the plan by the German government, the Nazis, to exterminate all Jewish people. Um, This included not just in German territory, but everywhere in the world that was under German occupation or their allied occupation, for instance, in Italy, Um, And in Japan, these countries were also pressured to um, execute or get rid of their Jewish people as an answer to their their problem of dealing with Jewish people. As a result of this, Japan felt like there was a little bit of resistance against this. Again, they were caught between a rock and a hard place. Uh, They were unfortunately allied with Germany out of necessity for their own government, but they were also desperately trying to seek favor with the United States government. So... They did not want to kill Jewish citizens because then they would alienate the United States, but they did not want to do anything about the Jewish people because the more they helped the Jewish people, the more they alienated their own allies. Even Germany eventually sent uh, German colonels like the butcher of Warsaw uh, to Japan in order to execute, uh, again, the Jewish people that were part of Shanghai. Uh, All of this is factual. The fact that the German people or rather the nazis went after the jewish people who were living in shanghai is just proof of that no matter where they were living in the world jewish people weren't safe Um, again japan did its best to protect those people um, as best as we know Uh, but there were of course some in the japanese government who were anti-semitic who believed that the jewish people were responsible for what eventually happened during world war ii Um, again some of the beliefs that they had were Things like that the U.S. government was run by Jewish people, that President Roosevelt was Jewish, that all of his cabinet members were Jewish. Um, Again, none of of which may be true. Uh, You know, Roosevelt, as far as we know, was not Jewish, but maybe some of his cabinet members were. Uh, You know, people in the United States government were Jewish um, at that time, but that doesn't mean that they had any sort of control. Um, And a very important stipulation is that while initially during the 30s, the U.S. did let other refugees come into their country, there were quotas that most allied countries placed on their immigration laws. Um, and anyone who was living in an enemy-occupied, controlled territory during World War II was not allowed to immigrate to the U.S. because they could be blackmailed. Um, a great example of this would be uh, anyone who was living in Japan, anyone who was living or had family relatives living in Eastern Europe or Germany, um, of course, in Russia. What, what people did not have family that was living there? And so as a result, many of those refugees were not allowed into the United States at first. Um, Again, this is something that the Japanese and the Jewish people did not understand fully at the time. But again, it was to sift and go through what they thought were potential spies and people who were traitors or people who they thought would be trying to assist the German or Japanese governments. Um, Again, the U.S. was doing its best job to sift through this, but there were Thousands and thousands and thousands of applications and people and interviews needed to be conducted and money needed to be exchanged hands. And it was a very complicated process. What I'm getting at is that the Japanese and the Jewish people did work together peacefully. There was no final solution implemented on the Jewish people um, by the Japanese government. Um, The Japanese government would like to say that they were not anti-Semitic. However, there were some people in the government who were. And we're going to have a few quotes here from the book now. And we're going to talk about it. Okay, so... Quote number one. The deadly blowfish of Japan, fugu. 200,000 times more lethal than strychnine, And yet, when expertly prepared, the most tantalizing of gourmet dishes. Uh, or in delicacies. The fugu plan. The incredible scheme devised in the highest councils of pre-war Japan to create an Israel in Asia. If the Fugu plan failed, the end would be as agonizing and irreversible as the effects of Fugu poisoning. If it were successful, Japan would become invincible. Here, for the first time, is the true dramatic story of the machinations of a clique of ranking Japanese military officers and cabinet ministers by which thousands of European Jews escaped annihilation in the Holocaust. Fully documented by the Japanese Foreign Ministry Memor- memoranda and the records of the Jewish community of Kobe, Yokohama, Harbin, and Shanghai, the Fugu Point is no less astounding for being absolutely true. And then this is another quote here. If somebody who is rich and powerful comes to you for a favor, you don't persecute him, you help him. Having such a a person indebted to you is a great insurance policy. There was one nation that did treat the Jews as if they were powerful and rich. The Japanese never had much exposure to Jews and knew very little about them. In 1919, Japan fought alongside the anti-Semitic white Russians against the communists. At the time, the white Russians introduced the Japanese to the book, the Protocols of the Elder of Zion. The Japanese studied the book and, according to all accounts, naively believed its propaganda. The reaction was immediate and forceful. They formulated a plan to encourage Jewish settlement and investment into Manchuria. People with such wealth and power as the Jews possess, the Japanese determined, are exactly the type of people with whom they want to do business with. Again, just a few select quotes from the book there. Um, And so, overall, what I would rank this book, I gave it a 3 out of 5. The reason being is this book, while it was entertaining, and a few of the stories and recollections of people who actually lived through it it was very um, difficult because a lot of it was, as I like to explain, sort of the slog of explaining what happened. And while explaining what happened is very important to history, I liked the stories a little bit better, and I wish I had some more of that in this book, mainly because I think the stories of the people and the real-life experiences definitely highlighted the true experience of being a refugee, living in Japan, what that was like, not speaking the language, communicating with other people, you know, trying to be safe and, you know, trying to get food and work and money so you can save up and get out of there. Um, You know, it describes the refugee process, which isn't easy in any country. Uh, And, you know, like I said, I I wish that this book had some more of those stories. And again, I gave it a 3 out of 5 because I was very entertained. Um, I definitely felt like if you like history, specifically World War II history and World War II history in Japan, you're going to like this book. Um, but for the casual observer, for somebody who does not have an interest in World War II or somebody who's not a big history person, this may be a book to pass on for you. Anyway, thank you for listening to today's podcast. Uh, My name is Scott. Um, So again, last thing is, again, you can reach me by email, scott, S-C-O-T-T, Bernstein, B-E-R-N-S-T-E-I-N, 16 at yahoo.com. You can reach me, you can reach out to me, answer any of my questions, Um, you can tell me what book to read next, you can give me feedback on today's episode. I'd greatly appreciate it. And if you like today's episode, please be sure to share it with a friend. Thanks for listening.